Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy has showed us God's portrait of man. Today we'll study about the third statement, There is none that seeketh after God. All right, we're back into Romans chapter 3. And we want to commence our reading from verse number 10 of Romans chapter 3. And then we'll come to our text, which we'll pick up in in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. But we will read an extended section of Romans chapter 3 in order for you to appreciate the full context of what we're dealing with. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous... No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that has preceded the preaching of your word. The songs, the specials, even the tidbits of hymnology that we learned this morning. We thank thee for the giving aspect of our worship. And we thank thee for the spirit among our people. And we want to ask you this morning to take us one step further as we look into your word. Lord, we, we come here not to be entertained. Not to be mesmerized with politics and human philosophy and different pop ideas that are so current in the marketplace. We've come here for one single solitary purpose. And that is to get an understanding of your word and what your word teaches. Our task as ministers is to expound the word. To explain the word. And to... Allow the Holy Spirit to have the ammunition that he needs to demolish the strongholds in the minds of men. And we must be faithful to scripture. We must not in any way give in to any form of pressure that would lead us away from the truth of scripture. Our aim is not to be popular. Our goal is to be faithful to the ministry and faithful to the word of God. And I thank you that there are still people who this is their objective, this is their aim, this is their passion, this is their goal. And they recognize the importance of the word of God. Now Lord, one other thing. Remind us this morning that the word of God is not always specifically for us as individuals. There are different needs represented in every church but we all ought to listen because that same word while not for our immediate need at the time 
will prove helpful in the future. As we move through this life and we are confronted with issues and circumstances, uh, we need a word from you at such times. And especially in our dealings with the men and women with whom we work and those with whom we rub our shoulders and come into contact with. We need to understand them. We need to get into their mindset. We need to appreciate what your word says about man outside of God and man who is fallen and without God. These things are not popular, what we find in scripture. As a matter of fact, they run against the very grain of our thinking. But there's only one truth, and that is your word. Thy word is truth. Help us, therefore, to hold to the truth, to support the truth, to preach the truth, to stand on the truth, and, Lord, to declare that truth within the church, outside the church, and to be governed and controlled in our thinking by that truth. Would you help me this morning? These feeble lips uh, enable me to speak the word with clarity, with conviction. And Lord, with a measure of divine power that doesn't come from man, that comes from the spirit working in our midst. May we grasp your word. And may we understand the dire condition in which man finds himself in. Man is not noble. Man is not good. Man is a depraved sinner who has an inclination towards evil. He's bent towards evil. And the only way to rescue him is the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and his vicarious atonement, his death on the cross for us. Where forgiveness is given, righteousness is given, and where, as a result of that, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and makes us more holy as we progress in our Christian faith. Bless this time now we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Now the section I read to you in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and following, the Apostle Paul has come to the end of his great indictment against man. From chapter 1 verse 18, the Apostle Paul has been showing very clearly that man is a fallen being who is guilty before God. And Paul also is showing that man is completely depraved. And what I use the word depraved, that man is evilly bent. If you've came into this place this morning and you are not a Christian and you think you're a good person, I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm here to tell you, whether you believe it or not, that as far as God is concerned, that your nature and your evil is bent towards evil. That doesn't mean you don't have good feelings and have good intentions. But the truth about you is that you love sin. The truth about every man outside of Jesus Christ is that he finds pleasure in sin. That is the truth about every single human being ever born on the planet earth. He's a fallen creature who has no inclination towards God. Who has no taste for God. Who has no interest in God. His whole interest is self-interest and his satisfaction 
of his pleasures. That is the biblical description of man. The apostle Paul has been arguing that from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And now he comes to the end of his final phase of indictment against man. The apostle Paul now gives us a catena of verses or a, a list of verses that he calls from the Old Testament to confirm that everything he has been saying is biblically songed. So he quotes from the book of Psalms, he quotes from the book of Proverbs, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And the point he is making is what he says in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are what? Under sin. That is what he's saying. That Jew and Gentile, that man, all mankind, all humanity is under sin. But what does he mean by under sin? The Apostle Paul is saying that man is under the authority of sin. Man is under the power of sin. Man is under the dominion of sin. Man is under the mastery of sin. Man is under the control of sin. This is what Paul is arguing. See? In other words, sin so permeates and dominates the fallen nature of man that man has been reduced to, a, to thraldom and slavery. Man is a slave of sin. He is a serf. He's a servant. See? And he is one who is in bondage to sin. This is what Paul is teaching in this band. You see, it is not merely that man occasionally sins. The truth about man is that man habitually is inclined towards sin. The Bible calls that depravity. Theologians call it total depravity. I want to say something this morning. I want to say to you that this is one of the weightiest truths that is ever taught in scripture about man. And the church must never surrender this truth. In spite of all the contradictions you hear that in popular opinion, that man is good, that man is noble, that man is enlightened. All of those things are false. And it's not false because I say they're false. It's false because God says they're false. Because if there's one being that knows man, it is God. And the church must understand it must never surrender this truth about the total depravity of man. Listen, in the enclaves of learning and in the centers of power of influence, man's nobility is elevated. Man is called a virtuous creature. He's upright and he's wonderful. But he's only wonderful in the eyes of man. When God sees him, God sees him as a rebel. In need of redemption. Now today, every form of pressure is being brought against the Christian and against the Christian church to surrender this truth of human depravity. If you listen to the media barons, 
who influence public opinion. If you were to ever go on any one of these major networks and declare that man is depraved, that man is evil, that man is wicked, that man is not noble, he's not virtuous, he's fallen. When they do a job on you and when they finish with you, they would have so humiliated you that you would be tempted to hold your peace and not say another word. Government propaganda about children. Uh, psychological theories about man being a blank page. And that is society that writes what's on the blank page. In the halls of academia. And all the pseudo-scientific theories about man. Are all pushing the church and the Christian to surrender. What we find in Romans chapter 1 to chapter 3. The total universal depravity of man. But we must not capitulate to it. And we must not surrender to it. Our job is to declare what God says. I don't know if you realize this or not. But there's only one institution that God has given the truth to. And God tells the church and the church alone. You are the pillar and ground of truth. I have given you truth. Support that truth. Defend that truth. Fight for that truth. But don't surrender it. But all around. We see the church surrendering the truth. We surrendered to abortion. David Arnold when he was here. I didn't read the article. And I was trying to find the article myself. But he told me with the article that. There's an article about abortion and why 70% of the people in the Caribbean claim to be Christians. The vast majority believe that abortion is okay. No, that's impossible. That's an impossible statement. No Christian can support the slaughter of innocent people. No Christian can do that. And any claim that you are Christian and you endorse abortion... You've got something called religion. You don't have Christianity. You have something different. How in the world can any believer support the killing of the innocent? And I remind you that life begins not when the scientists say, but it begins at conception. And by the way, that was believed up until modern times. Even the Hippocratic oath that every doctor swears on. Swears. That life begins at conception. But we have a strange schizophrenic Christianity today. We got millions of people claiming to be Christians. Who yet endorse abortion. Something is wrong. Desperately wrong. See? We're surrendering. We're surrendering to the gay movement. I repeat, we're surrendering to the gay movement. I don't know if you know this, but there's so many denominations, religious denominations, that have now got homosexual members and got homosexual preachers. I might have shared this with you, but I'll never forget this. 
I was in St. Croix, I think, um, not very long ago. I'm not a historian. I don't remember these days. <laughs> but maybe two or three years ago. You would remember when I was there in St. Croix. And they had this guy who was from the Bahamas, a Baptist. And uh, he did a wonderful study on the family. I'll never forget it. I mean, the man was really solid in dealing with the family. And then they came and answered questions. Answer, uh, question and answer period. And I remember he raised the question. What do you as a church do when a married homosexual couple come into the church? What do you do? Do you make them members of the church? I was amazed he asked that question. Because two things. Number one, they're not married. They are not married. Marriage is between a man and a woman. There is no such thing as marriage a woman and a woman or a man and a man. Government might say that, but there's no such thing. And number two, they can never become a member of the church. Now I know there are people who are sitting there saying, Pastor, you're lost in the past. Now the problem with you is this. You have drifted so far away from the truth that you don't even know truth any longer. You become tolerant. You've been pressured. See? Pressured. As a result, you're now embracing things that are completely wrong. See? Sometimes, by the way, for pastors, it's job security. If they take a stand, they're kicked out of the church and they've got their pension to worry about. See? I ain't got no pension to worry about. So you can kick me out anytime. See? But the point I'm making here is we are, the church is surrendering and surrendering and surrendering. And the next thing we're going to surrender to is this matter of gay marriages. We're going to surrender to it. We have no guts. We have become soft and sappy. And we have become so gullible, so gullible that God looks down from heaven and said, Is this what I died for? Is this what I gave my life for? That the church that should be holy and speak about holiness now embraces sin and call it tolerance. The point I'm making here is this. What the Apostle Paul is teaching from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 3 is truth that the church must never surrender nor capitulate to. It must hold to this truth of the total depravity of man. That man is not a noble, virtuous creature, but man is a fallen, corrupt, evilly bent being who is a rebel at heart. And has no disposition or inclination to seek God. That is the story of man. Every man and every woman. You will find from Genesis chapter 3. From Genesis chapter 3. And flowing onward. You will find the polluted stream of human corruption and depravity meanders its way through the course of human history, contaminating everything with its fetid waters and its foul stench. 
The truth about man is that he is totally depraved. And by the way, it is not only scripture that verifies this. We have 6,000 years of empirical history looking at man to see what man really is. And when you look at him and what he really is and what he's made in this world, you come to one conclusion. The Bible is correct. It is right. Man is evil. Man is incorrigibly evil. Man is so warped. He's evilly bent towards doing wrong. Now, by the way, no one describes this awful state of man more graphically than Isaiah. Listen to the words of Isaiah. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the feet, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. That's the prophet for you. See, You talk a man of deep psychology, who can read into the, the hearts of men and understand what man is. All these Lilliputians we call psychology know nothing. They create words, jargon. But they don't really understand the real core of the problem. The prophets see far into the soul. See, and they understand the real nature of man. He's corrupt and he's fallen. Now this is what, exactly what Paul is saying. From chapter 1 to our present text. The main difference between Paul and Isaiah. Is the brilliance of Paul's logic. Isaiah is poetic. He's descriptive. Paul, on the other hand, is forensic. And what I mean by that, he is prosecutorial. He is a prosecutor as a lawyer, exposing and condemning man and showing man's guilt. So all the flowery language you find in the book of Isaiah, you find the rabid, clear language of Paul. He's not trying to be poetic. He's making a forensic case against man. Do you notice the order and the sequence of Paul's arguments? And do you see the beauty of how Paul presents his case? In verse number 10, the first thing that we looked at in this final phase is that Paul said, there is none what? There's none righteous. So Paul is saying that all men are unrighteous. But you notice the next thing he says, there's none that what? Understandeth. Because he's unrighteous, he's not enlightened. He's on He's not only unrighteous, he's unenlightened. See. And then the next thing that Paul said, there's none that what? Seek God. He's ungodly. Do you see the clear law? Look, Paul just didn't throw verses together and words together. Paul is one with a very logical mind. And step by step, Paul moves from unrighteousness to being unenlightened to being ungodly. Because it's only an enlightened man that knows, is righteous enlightened, an enlightened man is a man that seeks God. But Paul's argument is, the natural man, outside of grace, is depraved. He has no righteousness. He has no understanding of spiritual things. And above all, he never seeks God. He never seeks. Now, there are those here this morning, I suspect, who would argue with Paul. Paul, 
Alright, I understand there's none righteous. And we explain what righteousness is, by the way. And I think we were able to prove to you that man has none. We explain to you that there's none that understand it. It doesn't mean that they're not brilliant men. It doesn't mean they're not people who have intellect and people who, who know about science and technology and IT and people who, who can delve into this realm. They're, they're, they're geniuses at that. But it's not what Paul is talking about. The understanding of spiritual truth. It's what Paul is dealing with. But then Paul, to say that there's none that seek God, I mean, there's something wrong with you, Paul. Yeah, we've got people that even question that. But you notice the language of Paul is the language of absolutes. It's the language of universalism. None. None without exception. Now, my question this morning, is this true? That there's not a single human being on planet earth since the fall of Adam who is not a Christian who has not sought God. Is that true? Well, I want to answer that question this morning. And I want to say to you that there are several people who perhaps would, would query that and, and uh, argue with Paul about that. And there are three basic foundations or, or three basic reasons why people would question that statement. Now, this is a statement we're dealing with this morning. There's none that seeketh after God. That's the statement we want to deal with this morning. And as I said before, I have no doubt in my mind that there are people probably sitting here who are saying something wrong with that statement. Paul is beside himself. Paul is using hyperbole. Paul is using exaggeration. The apostle Paul is lost in his argument and he's now making words without even understanding what he's saying. And I want to say to you that what Paul says is absolute biblical truth. Because what Paul quotes is from the book of Psalms chapter 14. And if you go to that psalm, you'll see exactly the quotation we have here. It's what Paul mentions, what David mentions in the book of Psalms. And the first thing I would like to say is, is, Pastor, how could this statement be true? When you look at what I call the historical witness of man's religious character scattered all over the world. Pastor, if you were to take a plane and fly over the world, you will see temples and places of worship. You will see dotting the landscape of whatever country you go to. Some erection of an altar. You mean to tell me that those people weren't seeking God? And by the way, it is true that wherever you go on planet earth, the human landscape is dotted with altars and temples of worship. If you go to Africa, the most religious people in the world are Africans. I don't know if you know that. I wish uh, my brother is here from Nigeria. Uh, talk to him afterwards. Uh, the African believe that there's a spirit in almost everything. A spirit, on, spirit in the tree, spirit in the water, ancestral spirits. Seriously. There are very, very religious people. 
If you go to Asia, you'll find the Hindu temples. Some monstrous looking gods. Some that have dozens of hands. Some that have got faces of, of, of rats. People, temples filled. If you were to go to the jungles of South Africa, I mean, jungles of South America, again, you will find those Indians who are half naked, the, what they call the indigenous people. You'll find that they've got their totem pole with their image carved on it. And they're bowing before that idol. And if you will go to a place like even England today, you can go to a place where they call the Stonehenge. Where it is talk about the Druids. And I don't know if you noticed today, but even today there's a pilgrimage of English people to this ancient landmark. Because it's part of what they call the ancestral worship. And if you were to travel to Greece and to Rome, you'll still see images of Zeus. And Mercury. You'll see the pantheon of gods in the Colosseums. So pastor, if Paul said there's none that seeketh after God, do these historical facts not disprove what Paul is saying? Now the Bible has an answer to that. And it's a brilliant answer. First of all, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's none that seeketh God, Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 20. Paul says, But I say, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to what? The word should not be devils, it should be demons. There's one devil, many demons. And not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with demons. You know what Paul is saying? Behind every false system of worship in this world, whether in England, whether in Africa, whether in Asia, whether in India, whether in South America, whether in South America, it doesn't matter. Behind all false religion are demonic powers. Demonic powers. You see an enemy... Knowing that God has created man with a, a religious void in him. By usurping God and moving man away from God and disobeying God, that void has never been filled. So it's not that man doesn't have a, an inclination towards God, but man doesn't seek the true God. That's the point. It's not that he doesn't seek. As a matter of Romans chapter 1 tells you what has happened. It said there was a time when man knew God. They glorified not of God. And then they said that man held on the truth in unrighteousness about God. And then Paul says, man went away from the truth. Creating images like their own corruptible nature. So when Paul said there's none that seek God. Paul means this, there's not a single fallen man that seeks the true and the living God. He seeks a God. But I'll tell you why he seeks the God of these idols. So what I'm saying to you this morning is that all non-biblical, anti 
Christian religions in the world. Behind those religions is a masquerade of demonic spirits. Working in tandem with the great supreme infernal spirit called Satan. He is rivaling God. He has created religion. So when you go, whether it be African nature religion, or Haitian Buddhism, or Eastern ancestral worship, or Buddhism, or Taoism, or the idolatrous Catholicism, even that is not of God. Let me ask you a question. Is there any greater idolatry than for me to go before a woman that is dead and pray to her and say a rosary to her? That's worse than the pagans. Because we are enlightened westerners. We ought to know better. But there are people in churches today. Worshipping a woman. Buildings have been built to her. In Barbados we got a church called the, the what? The church of the immaculate conception. I think you got one here too. All false religions. Behind them are demonic spirits. And there's no greater idolatry than to worship a woman. As so many do in the western world. By the way, let me just say this. If a guy from Observer was here this morning and played out on the radio tomorrow, I would get crucified. Do you know that? Do you know that? But let me tell you something, I ain't care. I couldn't care less. My job is to preach truth. Who doesn't like truth? That's your problem, not mine. I'm in alignment with God and what God wants me to do. If you have a problem with that, you might need to find another church. Or another pastor. But I will not give in to the pressure. On these matters. Now the other thing that. Need to be explained is then Pastor Murphy. If Paul said there's none to seek after God. And when we look across the human landscape. We see it dotted with altars and shrines and temples and so on. How then can you explain. This man. Fallen man pursuit of what he perceived to be a God. Let me give you five reasons why people go after a God. Number one, often they want to manipulate that God. That is why you have incantations. That is why you have what is called spells. You learn certain things in a book. Because when you say these things, you, you, you bring this God you worship into operation to act on your behalf. So you learn all of these incantations. That is why you, you learn all this strange language. Look, my wife and sister Annie then went to Cameroon. I mean, they're here. Robert went as well. Talk to them about the power of the witch doctors have over those people in Cameroon. And why do you think the people fear the witch doctor? Because the witch doctor has presented himself as one who can manipulate the spirits and manipulate the God. So the, 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 the desire, the searching for God that 
that these people pursue is not a desire to, to submit to God, to obey God, to be righteous like God, to glorify God. It is to manipulate God for their purposes. Secondly, it is to appease God. There's no doubt that when man looks into the universe, he's terrified. No question about that. The more I learn about when they're sending this satellite to Mars, and how many years it will take to get there, and what the speed is traveling at, I said, man, this place is big. This place is big. This universe is big. And planet Earth is like a little dot. Something is out there. Something big. And man have a dread of the unknown. So what he does, he sacrifices his animals, he slaughters his animals, and he's hoping to, to appease God. See? He's not seeking God to worship God, to obey God, to live for God, to glorify God, to learn God's will. That's not his passion, that's not his concern. See? And then thirdly, he does this because he wants to create a God just like himself. By the way, can you tell me one non-biblical religion that worships the holy God? Name one. All of them talk about a powerful God. But they never talk about a, a holy God. See? Even the Muslims, their God is absolute. Ab, uh, Allah is sovereign. Your job is to submit to Allah. But where is the idea that Allah is holy? Doesn't exist. They live in fear. We create a God that like ourselves in our image. By the way, that's why the Romans conquered the Greeks. The Greek gods were too small for the civilization. And the Greek gods, if you look at the Greek gods, they're always, the Greek god always looked like a man. He's an elevated man. And by the way, the Greek gods were guilty of the same things that the people do. The Greek gods committed sex with some goddess and got some other god born. The people said, we like a god like that. We want that kind of a god. But it's soon delivered. You can't, you can't build a civilization, a god that looks like man. And so the Greek civilization collapsed. And then the Romans came and said, Caesar was God. And again, the Romans discovered, you can't build a civilization on man as a god. That too toppled. It's the history of every civilization. People become like their gods. And then the fourth reason I believe that they do this is because I believe sincerely that the priesthood wants to bring man under their power. So if the priest got magical power to control the spirits, the people are now subservient to the priest. By the way, that's how the Catholic Church got so much power. Don't you know that? Yes. Did, you, did you know that? Yes. People live in fear. Yes. You're going to you say a rock look confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Well, my dear son, what sin did you commit? Well, Father, I, I want the details. I will pardon you. I will sprinkle holy water on you. I would absolve you. But could you tell me what actually happened? Uh, this is what, and uh, how did you feel? Uh, and you actually, uh, now when you tell the priest all your secrets, 
When he got all your secrets, man, he has power over you now. Yes. See? By the way, that's true of a lot of politicians. I don't know if you know that. That's why in Europe, for example, in the Middle Ages, the priests had so much power. They knew all the secrets of the kings. So the kings kowtow to them. See? But then there's another power he has. Every Sunday, we say Mass. And we bring in this wafer on a, a cloth, walking with dignity and respect. And we put it in a vault afterwards. Because you know what happens? When you bring that wafer and the priest prays and says, Hocus pos est, suddenly it's no longer wafer. It is magically turned into the body of Christ. And the wine is no longer wine. Now it's the blood of Christ. So when you partake of the wafer, you partake, you partake of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But then what happens to the balance of it? What happened to the left that's left over? Now Christ is incorruptible. So if it's turning to Christ, the flesh of Christ is incorruptible. One priest became a Christian because they put it in a vault and the next day he went for it had worms. So he realized this can't be true. But look at so many today who believe that. Now any man that can turn blood, wine into blood, and a wafer into the body, that man got power. So that's the, that's the power the Catholic priest has had over the minds of people. He's a man of power. It's the greatest form of idolatry. How in the world did we get here? How in the world we have doctors and nurses and teachers and intelligent people? Blood! How? When you taste it, it is still wafer, sister. When you drink it, it is still wine. But the priest said, it's no longer wine, it's blood. False religions is not just about controlling God. It's not only about manipulating God. It's not only about appeasing God. It's about the priesthood. Having control over the people. See. Thank God your eyes got open one day. Thank God my eyes got open one day. Because believe me, I used to believe that. Thank God. And now that my eyes are open, I wonder how could I ever believe it. How blind I was. But what power man had over me. Listen, you come to this church, you hear Pastor Murphy preach, there's something above Pastor Murphy. You know what it's called? The Word of God. Whatever he says, whatever he says, search the scriptures to see if those things are true. Let him be judged by scripture. Not by his talk or his preaching. Look, the truth about man is this. When man fell, what's the first thing man did? Prior to the fall, the Bible says God came down and walked in the garden. Man, hey God, how are you doing today? Well, Adam, I was just wondering how you and Eve made out last night. I was just wondering, is, is, is there anything? But the moment man fell... God comes walking and guess what? Man is nowhere to be found. He disappears. You know why? He's running from God. 
running. And listen, that's the truth of every unsaved person on planet earth. He's not running towards God. He's running away from God. He's not seeking the true and the living God. Join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy contests more arguments about the statement, There is none that seeketh after God. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.